0: Good morning. It is a delight to be here with you, serving God's Word. It is always an honor to preach God's Word, especially this first Sunday of this year. And as we begin the year and think about New Year resolutions, there are no more higher resolutions and more worthy of our attention than those that relate to our spiritual walk. And so I would like to focus our attention on one particular book of the Bible that hopefully can be a book that can encourage you, direct you, and be a book that you can master more in 2021. Please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And we'll be looking at one verse, and that is verse 7 from chapter 1. Proverbs 1 verse 7. I usually don't preach from an English Bible, so the pages are sticking more than usual. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We'll be focusing on that first part of verse 7. Let us pray one more time and ask that the Lord would be with us and speak to us and be gracious to help me preach faithfully and clearly and that the Spirit of God would fill me and speak to your hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is eternal, that is powerful. Your word is what has the ability to change us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Your word is the word that brought us new life. We were born again through your word, and so we thank you for the power of this book. And yet, anything I can do is useless if your spirit does not enable me, if your spirit does not take these words that I preach and use them. Our hearts are often hardened, they're often uh, insensitive to you, and so we pray that just as we were singing, that you would prepare our hearts and that you would use this for your glory, for the building up of your saints, and if there's anyone hearing this message that does not know you, that you would evangelize through your word and save those who do not know you. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just to give a little background of the book of Proverbs before we dive into this one verse. And really this verse that we're looking at is going to be the theme, the main idea, the proposition of, of my sermon. That is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or is the beginning of wisdom. The book begins with the phrase Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now most of the Proverbs, not all of it is written by Solomon. Who's the book written for? The text tells us the passage we heard read. We find the answer to that in verses 4 and 5 of the first chapter. It says to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. This book is written for the young, for the simple, for those who lack experience, knowledge and wisdom. But if you look at verse 5, it says the wise will hear and grow in knowledge and the intelligent will acquire skill. It is also written... To the one that is already wise for he who is truly wise is humble and desires to learn more like paul in the new testament who's in prison at the end of his life in second timothy and what does he ask timothy to bring the books above all the parchments he wanted to keep studying he wanted to keep learning god's word and so this book is both for the young for the simple for those who Need it. They need direction. There's an emphasis on my son, my son. The first chapters start with that. But it's also written for those who already have wisdom, that they might grow in greater wisdom. And if we see how the book is divided, we have basically five parts to the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters are a praise of wisdom, they're longer passages, they leave a foundation for all the shorter proverbs that are found. In the rest of the book, from chapter 10 to 2216, what you have is 375, almost one per day, you have 10 extra in a year, short proverbs, 375 short proverbs that are attributed to Solomon, and many of those are in contrast, and so there is this element of teaching that happens through contrast in these proverbs. Proverbs. The third part of the book, you'll see from chapter 22, verse 17 to 2434, these are longer proverbs. When we get to chapter 25, we have the fourth section, and verse 1 tells us of chapter 25 that they were proverbs of Solomon, which were transcribed by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. That is 250 years later of the time of Solomon. And we see that these proverbs are more grouped by theme. In the fifth and final section, chapter 30 and 31, we have the speeches of Agur, Lemuel's mother, and an acrostic poem to conclude the book, A through Z in the Hebrew alphabet, to conclude the book about the woman who, and interesting, fears God. So the book ends... As it begins, one of the ways we find the main message of any book in the Bible is to look at the beginning and the end. And as we look at Proverbs, it starts with the fear of God and it ends with this woman who fears God. And what is she like? A to Z. So there is this big theme, central theme in the book of Proverbs of the fear of God. In fact, verse 7 really is, as Howard Hendricks once said, the key that unlocks the whole book. When you look at the book as a whole, it tells us about a lot of different things. It tells us even how the righteous is to treat his pet. He is to treat his pet well. It tells us about laziness, about the tongue, about the effects of getting drunk, about dealing with enemies, about the contrast between the fool and the wise, about business, about bribery about avoiding debt, about taking pleasure in sexual relations within marriage. It describes the destructiveness of adultery, about raising children, about how to discipline them, how not to discipline them. It's a book that contains much wisdom. And the one verse that is key to understanding the whole book, as we said, is the verse we're looking at today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what I would like to do this morning is three things. As we look at this particular verse, I'd like to go through three items. One is answer the question, what is the fear of God? So when the passage says the fear of the Lord, what does he mean by that? In the context of Proverbs, in the context of the Old Testament, in the context of the whole Bible, what does it mean to fear God? Then number two, I would like us to look at What is the relationship if the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? What is that relationship between the fear of God and wisdom? If we are to walk wisely in 2021, how do these two relate? And then lastly, I'd like to just exhort us, exhort you, encourage you, challenge you to fear. Now, 2020 was a year for many of fear. So it sounds weird that we would end the sermon, as we begin this year, encouraging you to fear. I want to do that. I want to exhort you to fear, but it is a kind of fear that is good. And so number one, let's start with answering the question, what is the fear of God? For a long time, I understood the fear of God simply as not fear in the way we would negatively describe, but a reverence for God. But I would like to look at this phrase in Proverbs and the Bible and show you that it's more than just a reverence for God. The word fear essentially has three meanings. Terror, terror, to be in awe, to have reverence. There's a passage in the book of Exodus where we see all these elements. If you want to hold your place in Proverbs and look with me in Exodus 20... Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 20, we see these elements of fear, the different components of what it means to fear God. Exodus 20, verses 18 through 20 says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Notice the repetition of fear in different dimensions, how it appears in this passage. After the people have seen some of God's majestic presence, Moses says, do not fear. But then he says that the fear of you may be before you. Don't be afraid, but be afraid. Which is it? C.S. Lewis captures the essence of this in his book of Chronicles of Narnia, where he describes the Lion, the Witch, in a Wardrobe, where he describes Aslan, the lion who is a figure of Christ. And at one point in the book, he describes the person of Aslan making a reference to how we are to see Christ in the following manner. But as for Aslan himself, the beavers and the children didn't know what to do or what to say when they saw him. People who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, and then they found they couldn't look at him and went all trembling. I believe that sometimes in theology, in preaching, in Bible teaching, we try to somehow tame God. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah describes the fear of God in the following manner Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear. What a relevant passage for these times, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him, you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. So what Isaiah is saying is the solution to the fear of whatever other people fear, that we are not to be the same, is to fear God. There is a greater fear. Can you begin to see what the fear of God is? It's not just a reverence, the kind we might have, towards an important person, someone famous we admire, or even a reverence we might have towards a king. He is more than a king. He is the king of kings. He is the infinite God who dwells in inaccessible light, whom no man has seen or can see, three times holy, almighty, who has the power to destroy my body and soul forever in hell. He is the possessor of all knowledge. Google, Wikipedia, and the world's libraries do not reach one thousandth of one percent of the total knowledge of God. He is omnipresent. There's no place in the universe where he is not. The most hidden corner of the planet, he's there. In places with astronomical distances in the most distant galaxies of the universe, those places do not escape from his presence. The places in the world where the worst atrocities are being committed at the moment do not go unnoticed before his eyes. At the same time, he's present in a special manner in the places where he is worshipped most purely. John Piper illustrates the fear of God, telling the story of a giant dog that invokes fear as soon as you see him the owner of the dog explains how to be safe around this dog she tells you don't run away from this dog if you draw near the dog he will lick you and see you as a friend but if you run away from the dog he will chase you bark you and may bite you don't run from him or you'll be in trouble does that image produce conflict in your mind God is a God that, is in, that in his presence there is safety. But if we try to flee from him, we are in danger. There is a great danger of being far from him. Usually one seeks to be far from what one fears. I am terrified of needles, of having blood drawn, and I try to do that as little as possible. I try to stay away from that. Walk away. But with the fear of God, it's the opposite. Fearing God means that we approach him because far from him it is dangerous. Now we approach him through Christ because if it wasn't for Christ, we would be in danger in his presence. In the book of Haggai, when God's people lost their focus on the worship of God's, and we're more focused on their own endeavors. Do you remember what God says to them? I'm against you. I'm against you. And things are going badly for them until they come back to God. Do we have this glorious, majestic vision of God and the fear of God? john owen in his book indwelling sin speaks of the need to have a right glorious vision of god and he says if we do not have a great vision the, the soul is hungry in other words if we have a lower god than how scriptures presents our god the soul will be not satisfied because the soul is satisfied with god himself and if it's something lesser it will seek to fill itself with idols since our concept of God is too low for the hunger of the soul. The fear of God then has to do with this glorious, majestic vision where there is a kind of fear. But the fear is more related to being away from him. Psalm 34 pits it this way, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It is a call to fear God. There's that phrase again. But notice the promise of well-being for those who fear him. They lack nothing. If you know that the God of the universe is on your side, what can you lack? That's what Romans 8 argues. If Christ is on our side, who can be against us? And if you have come to the only mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, then you can know that God smiles at you and is on your side. Proverbs 2.5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will discover the knowledge of God. The fear of God is connected to the knowledge of God. The idea is an intimate knowledge. Fearing God also means, then, that you have an intimate knowledge of Him. So my question for you this morning and for me and for all of us is, are you walking close to Him? May that be your strongest desire and your highest resolution this year is to walk closer to Him, closer than you did last year, closer than you did last week, last month. This is the call of every believer to walk close to him, to fear him. This is what it means to fear him. What is the fear of God? Is it reverence? Yes, but much more than this. It is a glorious vision of God, a surrender of the will before a great God. It is worship. It is walking in intimacy with him. It is fear of being far from him. We should fear to not have devotional time, not because he's going to punish us, but because we desperately need to be close to Him. We should feel not being close to others that can encourage us in our walk with Him because of the dangers that involves for our spiritual life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So number two, number one, what is the fear of God? Number two, what then is the relationship between the fear of God... And wisdom, how do these two relate? You know, if you take a first glance at the book of Proverbs, it seems like a lot of what's in there, a lot of the things that are said, could be done or could be said without God. With a superficial look, someone could conclude that. Derek Kidner in his commentary on Proverbs clarifies When one opens the book of Proverbs at random and draws from its wisdom, one may be left with the impression that its religious content is tenuous and undefined. Many of its maxims and theological statements could be transplanted into a non-Israeli, non-biblical soil. In other words, if you read some of the Proverbs without its context, you might assume this could be said by a wise philosopher of the day. A hostile reader might go even further and ask if the true God and Lord in this book is not man himself, and the real goal is prosperity. If one takes Proverbs individually and isolates them from their larger context, one might come to this conclusion. For example, Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Good, wise advice. Good scripture memory, verse. But it could be said by a non-Christian, someone might say. So the key to the book is to understand verse 7 of chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because Proverbs is going to connect wisdom to holiness. Wisdom and holiness go together. For example, in Proverbs, it speaks of the confession of sins. And it says that when there is no confession, there's no prosperity. He who conceals his sins, what does it say? Does not prosper. This is totally different from the wisdom of the world, which does not connect holiness and wisdom. The book of James in the New Testament speaks of a diabolical wisdom of this world in contrast to wisdom that comes from above. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, and that to God the thoughts of the wise of this world are useless, they are vain. The reality is that in the book of Proverbs there are about 100 verses where God's name appears. This is not simply a book with wisdom statements that a non-christian could have made the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom proverbs 2 6 tells me that the lord gives wisdom in other words it is an intimate knowledge and it is received by revelation true wisdom is received by revelation meaning through god's word and his spirit enabling us and illuminating what he has revealed You can study all the philosophy and philosophers of the world, but if you do not receive the wisdom from above that comes by revelation, the book of James talks about this as well, you will be looking in the wrong places. Colossians tells me in the New Testament that in Christ, what does it say about Christ and his relationship to wisdom? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of knowledge, and wisdom. The reality is that our sin blinds us. And only through the power of the gospel can we receive true light. You cannot divorce wisdom from holiness. And it's very interesting that Proverbs that talks so much about wisdom warns of the danger of a supposed wisdom disconnected from an intimate relationship with God. Let me say that again. It's interesting that Proverbs, that talks so much about wisdom, warns of the danger of a supposed wisdom disconnected from an intimate relationship with God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it say? Do not lean on your own understanding. And then verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. In the book of Proverbs, we see that faith is exalted above prudence and craftiness. Practical Proverbs are not there for us to try to put them into practice merely as moral principles. We are not meant to live them without a close, intimate relationship with God, nor can we really. It's the fear of the Lord that gives us the motivation and the power to live out the details of the book of Proverbs. So what then is the relationship between the fear of the Lord and wisdom? Proverbs assumes that you will not be able to give meaning to life or live fully and abundantly if you do not understand your need for God. Fearing God in the Old Testament is the New Testament equivalent of having a personal personal relationship with God. If you do not come to know God, to know him as he has revealed himself in the Bible and in the person of Jesus, your attempts to find wisdom will fail as it has throughout history. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the application for this sermon is fear God. I said at the beginning that this is a sermon that will encourage us to fear, but it's a certain type of fear. We are to fear God. The book of Ecclesiastes, written also by Solomon, and its conclusion says, do you remember how this book ends? The conclusion when all has been heard after he's, shown all the things that were in vain, is fear God and keep his commandments. There it is. Because this, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, applies to every person. In other words, trust God. Fear of the Lord has to do with trusting him. And as a result of your trust in him, obey him, because this is the call to everyone. In a sense, it's an evangelistic call to all humanity. Why should I fear God? Because this is the way to wisdom. And wisdom is the way to a happy life, according to Proverbs. We are meant to experience a type of happiness, an ultimate, a more deep and meaningful happiness that is found through the path of holiness. We fear God. That's the path to wisdom. Wisdom is the path to a truly happy life. Life. Not a life without problems and trials. Not the prosperity gospel where we get health and wealth in this life with no trials and no Christ and no gospel. That's not the emphasis of Scripture. It's not the emphasis of Proverbs, but a true happy life that is connected to what ultimately satisfies our heart, and that is to live for him and for his glory. This is the path. In fact, you see Proverbs presenting often two paths, two ways. There's not a third way, there's two ways to go. The way of the wise and the way of the foolish. In chapter 9, he, the author displays these two paths through the personification of two women, and they're both calling people to come their path. Wisdom has built her house, she has Hoon out her seven pillars. Proverbs 9, verse 1. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. There's this call from way above. Whoever is naive, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come eat my food and drink of the wine that I have mixed, forsake your folly, and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. That's what this woman called wisdom calls out to everyone to come. In contrast, there's the woman of folly. Of folly. Verse 13, the woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city. And she's also calling people, calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever's naive, let him turn and hear. It's the same call. If you're naive, come this way. And the woman of wisdom is saying, come this way. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, She's got a different message now. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. One path leads to life, and the other path leads to death. Brothers and sisters, do you see the connection between the fear of God and wisdom? Number three, I'd like us to look at how. How do I fear God? This is the final question. There has to be a first encounter with the living God if there was not already one. An acknowledgement that there is a creator who made you for him and that life takes on its greatest meaning in him. That wisdom is found in him in life as it was designed to be lived is in a right relationship with him. You cannot come to him on your own terms. You have to come on his terms, and he's described what those terms are, where you recognize your need, you recognize your smallness before him and your sin, and that there's a divine law that you have violated. There's a better life that he wants to give you near him Not a life without problems, not a life without suffering, but a better life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if you haven't had that first encounter with the living God, come to him. Recognize your need. Confess your sins. Come in repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Realizing your need for him and for Christ. Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, once and for all. We come empty handed. We don't come with our works, with our attempts to earn his favor. We come recognizing that he has provided everything I need for the forgiveness of all of my sins. He rose from the dead the third day, demonstrating that he truly is God and conquered death. And so as we come to him, acknowledging our sin and how he's met the payment that the divine law required of my sin, he will forgive you from all your sins, he will give you his spirit, and he will give you life like it's meant to be lived. Most of you here, and perhaps all of you here this morning, have already had this first encounter, but how easily do we deviate from that fear where we are in awe of who our God is? Other gods captivate us more because we lose our delight in his glorious presence. It's interesting, the book of 1 John, the way it ends, it says, children, in other words, he's talking to those who are believers, guard yourself from idols. Calvin said that our heart is a factory of idols. So we daily, weekly, monthly, yearly have to battle the idols of our heart, And the way we do this is by being in awe of who our God is so that we have a higher view that our heart is not hungry and doesn't have to find other places to be satisfied, that we are satisfied in the greatness of our God. So come today to him in worship, submission, and repentance and tell him I want to walk close to you. And when my heart is quickly turned away, help me to fear sin and to fear being far from you so that I will quickly confess and run back to your throne of grace and mercy. I want to finish by reading a portion from this great little book, Christmas Gift, that I've been enjoying. It's called The Great Gain of Godliness from Thomas Watson. It's a book that Spurgeon longed for. He wrote about this book, says we've been trying to acquire it, and at the time he couldn't get a copy of it, but he recommended it for the clarity with which uh, this Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, would often speak on matters. And there's a section in this book where he talks about the fear of God. So as we think about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom, as we think about what it means for us to fear God, may these thoughts from Scripture, from this Puritan pasture, be on our hearts and our minds. He says, it is an indispensable duty incumbent on Christians to be fearers of God. There's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. The godly fear God as a child does his father. The wicked are afraid of God as the prisoner is of the judge. This divine fear will appear admirable if you consider how it is mixed and interwoven with several of the graces. He's going to to mention five ways in which the fear of God is mixed with what he calls graces. Number one, the fear of God is mixed with love. The chaste spouse fears to displease her husband because she loves him. There is a necessity that fear and love should be in conjunction. Love is as the sails to make swift the soul's motion and fear as the ballast to keep it steady in religion. When he says religion, he means spiritual life. Love will be apt to grow wanton unless it, is, be, it be poised with fear. Number two, the fear of God is mixed with faith. He mentions Hebrews eleven seven 7, by faith Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark. When the soul looks either to God's holiness or its own sinfulness, it fears. But it is a fear mixed with fear. Faith in Christ's merits. The soul trembles, yet trusts. Like a ship which lies at anchor, though it shakes with the wind, yet it is fixed at anchor. God in great wisdom couples these two graces of faith and fear. Fear preserves seriousness. Faith preserves cheerfulness. Isn't that great? Fear is a lead to the net to keep a Christian from floating in presumption. And faith is as cork to the net to keep him from sinking into despair. Number three, the fear of God is mixed with prudence. He who fears God has the serpent's eye and the dove's head. He foresees and avoids those rocks upon which others run. Though divine fear does not make a person cowardly, it makes him cautious. Number four, the fear of God is mixed with hope. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy. Psalm 33:18. One would think fear would destroy hope, but it cherishes it. Fear is to hope as the oil to the lamp. It keeps it burning. The more we fear God's justice, the more we move, the more we may hope in his mercy. Indeed, such as have no fear of God do sometimes hope, but it is not good hope through grace. Sinners pretend to have the helmet of hope, but lack the breastplate of righteousness. And number five, the fear of God is mixed with industry. Noah, moved with fear, prepared an ark. In other words, we're occupied with good works that God has prepared for us to do beforehand. There is a fear of diffidence, which represents God as a, fear, as a severe judge. This takes the soul off of duty. But there is also a fear of diligence. A Christian fears and prays, fears and repents. Fear quickens industry. The spouse, fearing lest the bridegroom should come before she is dressed, hastens and puts on her jewels that she may be ready to meet him. Fear causes a watchful eye and a working hand. Fear banishes sloth out of its diocese. The greatest labor in religion, says Holy Fear, is far less than the least pain and the damned feel in hell. There is no greater spur in the heavenly race than fear. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word that encourages us, challenges us to think about what true wisdom is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Lord, as we start this new year and as we've lived a year with fear surrounding us and fear in us, fear among us, may we have the right kind of fear to be equipped to avoid the wrong kind of fear. And may we be equipped to live wisely in these dark days, Thank you for the book of Proverbs. May this be a sweet book this year that we would treasure. And as we've seen this particular verse, that we would be reminded of the truths of this seventh verse in the first chapter. As we read it this year, as we study it this year, when we get to the particulars and the details of how we are to be wise in every area of our life, that the motor and the motivation and the strength to do that would be the fear of the Lord. And that we would be encouraged and reminded, even today, how to fear you. How to walk close to you. That we would draw near to you because this is a safe place to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.